masks are off and we're off to the races in nearly all pro sports. And that's what we're going to talk about because fans are back and they are not social distancing and gamblers are back in the casinos and they're not doing that either. Hello, I'm Phil. Welcome to Double AI, the uh, podcast about analytics and the business of sports, entertainment, gaming, and esports. I'm Phil in Los Angeles. There's Andrew in San Diego. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Phil. And Ari joins us from his home in Chicago. Hey, Ari. Hey, Andrew. So, Andrew and Ari, those are the Double AI and the Double AI podcast. Well, guys, we start off with Major League Baseball, and this thing is not settled yet, and we're tiptoeing into mid-June and beginning to butt up against the real deadline of this. So, Ari, you're our industry guy. Let's talk about 76 games and how many teams in the playoffs? <laughs> 16, um, which is a lot, more than half. Um, I was just thinking 76 trombones in the big parade. So... <laughs> We may or may not have a parade in baseball since there is uh, health concerns. And then, you know, do they prorate how much exactly discount on top of it? So there's some back and forth, but here we are again. Um, for those of you tuning in for the first time, the podcast, we've been doing this a few weeks and every week almost seems like the goalposts shifted a bit. Um, so, so it's interesting. And then, um, you know, on the financial front, you know, a couple comments from ownership. We had uh, Bill DeWitt, the chairman of the Cardinals, who um, said baseball is not very profitable. Then we had uh, the owner of the Cubs say that the um, that that clubs face losses of biblical proportions. So, the, you know, those are some of the thoughts of some of the larger team uh, ownership, and then. You know, the players are, you know, concerned both of being asked to take a further cut than was agreed upon a couple of months ago, um, as well as being asked to sign like health waivers. Um, or if you don't feel comfortable, you could sit out. So there, there's a lot of issues still to be worked out. And with 76 games, they, uh, you know, looking at the calendar, they also don't want to play games except playoff games um, into November. So to back into that, you know, you don't have that much time left to work on, um, you know, co coming up with some compromise. It's still possible, but, you know, the clock is ticking. Well, Ari is our former MLB executive. Andrew, I'm going to treat you like the man on the street right now. Are you buying what the, the owners of the Cardinals and Cubs are selling? Not really. I mean, it's hard to see them claiming poverty with the amount of money that they've been willing to throw around to players and stadiums and so on. Um, I'm also not buying a lot of the things they're saying about why they need to do the season at this level, some of their concerns. I think not being the man on the street though, we also have to be honest, this has nothing to do with playing in 2020. This is everything to do with the negotiations that's coming in 2021, right? Both sides are just posturing at this point. Well, that's getting to the point of it. All right, what does a 16-team playoff look like? I'm really fascinated by that. One thing we can say is that Andrew's twins, I, I like them finally winning a playoff series. Sorry to do that to you, Andrew. But other than that, Ari, what, what I, do you I think? Don't, I don't buy it. I don't buy it yet until they win. <laughs> well, was, they win. You, know, you know, this increases the chances for the Tigers, 
the Pirates, the Orioles, to uh, make a, a run for the, for the, the uh, what did the commissioner say, piece of metal for, for the uh, World Series trophy. Um, but no, it, I, I, I always find it interesting, shortened season or um, in abundance of playoff teams. Challenges, you know, you can have a hot team. Uh, they change the format more, you know, like inner city, Cubs, White Sox, et cetera. Um, Southern California teams playing each other, um, which adds some excitement. But, uh, you know, you're going to have a lot of purists, uh, you know, look at it like this is a weird season. Personally, I think it's it's interesting in that it gives middle tier teams, lower tier teams, uh, a little bit better chance for the playoffs. Well, let's again look at this from the, the, the view of the fan. What role does the fan play in this thing then? Yankee yeah, stadiums and the and and Fenway are no longer the houses of horrors that they can be in September because of the you know the the real angry and enthusiastic uh, tenor from the fans at the same time. So Andrew, that's something you talked about. What what does it mean to have fans or not? Well, I, I mean, I think this is the really interesting question we're going to find out. We know baseball in America was back last week, actually, right? We shouldn't go over and skip over it. ESPN was broadcasting live baseball from Texas. Um, and I, I, I know some people who watched it and the general sense, my sense in watching it, it was really sterile. Now, I don't know if that's because it was an all-star game or a prep showcase, or if it was because no one was in the stands. Um, but that does worry me is how important is that fan environment to the experience, right? The NBA is talking about piping in uh, right. fan noise from a video game to try to create some of that experience. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, we also have examples because we can go look at the Bundesliga that's been playing for a couple of weeks. And there is some evidence to start with limited amount, right? As a statistician, it's not a great sample size, but there's some evidence that that home field advantage may be down as well. Well, I'm going to ask, Ari, what's a playoff game in Wrigley like between the Cubs and Cards with no or limited fans? What's that like? You'll have a big crowd on Waveland <laughs> outside the stadium. Uh, yeah, I, I was at all sorts of games when Sammy Sosa was, you know, leading home runs. Uh, the 98 playoffs, and that place was packed outside the stadium of people who couldn't get in or didn't want to pay the prices. Um, but yeah, Wrigleyville, even during the shutdown, uh, you know, it was filled with people. Um, but yeah, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be very interesting. Um, when, I, when I was with the Orioles, there was a, a riot, and they played a game without uh, fans. And you could, there was a hotel across the street, so think rooftop people looking in, and uh, cars were honking every time a run scored. So you, you could he hear that. So it'll be fascinating. It also raises the question, I was uh, hearing talking about Texas baseball. That's one of the other things I've been reading is, you know, what if a few teams do have fans in there and other teams based on local regulations don't? Chicago just today announced they are not having their summer concerts for events like Taste of Chicago or Lollapalooza. So, you know, I think, I think current rule is 50 or more people you can't have in a certain area. So basically uh, some states will have fans more than others. How do you do 
how do you deal with uh, revenue sharing if you do or not? But yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll be, I'd actually like to see that. Well, we are living in a fascinating time, potentially very dangerous, because we're going to go through some of those things. So, Andrew, you mentioned soccer. Spanish League resumes this week. Uh, Italian League resumes this week. And the English Premier League, which you have given me a new appreciation for, is uh, restarting in another week. What does all that mean, Andrew? Well, I mean, it means football in Europe is back, right? I mean, four of the five biggest leagues in the world will be playing now, right? And, and it's kicking off. As, as we talk about empty stadiums and a lack of fans, La Liga starts Thursday with a competition between the two teams in Seville, right? Normally, a huge rivalry is going to be played in a completely empty stadium. So we'll see really fast how that goes. Um, and then, you know, the next day with Italian soccer resuming, Juventus and AC Milan playing two of the most popular, best-performing teams in the world, playing one another again in an empty stadium. Um, we'll get more information about what it's going to look like when we begin watching the NBA, the NHL, MLS, and so on start in these empty arenas. Well, and they're showing us an example of what it's like to play important games with uh, no fans. But we're also getting a look at what it's like when some of the businesses of sport and gaming open up and their customers. We'll talk about Las Vegas. Guys, we passed around a video uh, from Twitter of uh, a casino open and uh, there are very few masks. Ari, when you first saw that video, what was your first thought? My first thought is, is this from like 10 years ago? Um, since I didn't see any masks and it looked like a promotional like video, the way they were painting the camera. But then I saw the all the dealers had masks and the pit bosses had masks and others didn't. And then it would walk to the nightclub area and the restaurant, um, you know, row of restaurants. So uh, it, it, it was amazing just to see how close people were without masks or without concern. Um, now, now being in Chicago, we uh, lifted some of that for like nail salons and restaurants. And I saw some, you know, similar packed in here. So it was just human nature, but you know, everyone's going to look at, um, you know, uh, 10 to 14 days from now, uh, is there a spike? If so, what age groups, what conditions? Well, casinos open on both sides of the country. Uh, state of West Virginia said, you know, we're open for business. Andrew, what was it like with the casinos opening in San Diego County? Yeah, I, I, well, I mean, it was a little bit interesting, right? Because the original opening occurred before the governor had given permission for casinos to reopen in the state. But again, because of tribal sovereignty, they were able to make their own decisions. Um, they've opened slowly. You see a lot of the same thing with people, both some people wearing masks, lots of people not wearing masks, crowds of various sizes. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. Ari's point about um, we'll see in 10 to 12 or 10 to 14 days is interesting, but what percentage of the people in Vegas weren't from Nevada, right? And we know the way these, uh, positives are being reported, they're being reported from the home state, 
We also know, what is it, a third of the visitors to Las Vegas are from California. So, you know, how does this get reported? How do we even tell what that spike looks like? Um, and were these actual visitors to Las Vegas? It's a lot of open questions. I think the other question is, is that what percentage of these people, I've seen the same pictures already seen. I've seen the same things happening in San Diego where you're seeing people in the restaurants. But I also know there's still a lot of people who are still socially distancing, staying home, doing takeout. Um, I suspect that a large percentage of people are still doing the same thing, but we just don't know right now. We'll come back to the crowds in just a minute. Let's skip first to ahead uh, to golf as uh, the uh, PGA Tour is restarting in the state of Texas. And there's conversation about miking the players. And guys, with my background as an agent over a decade, my first thought was, let's pay these guys extra. <laughs> How can we renegotiate that? Um, clearly, it's more entertaining. And it's, but I guess there are some really concerns, and we're just going to bat this around. This is not Peyton Manning and Tom Brady kidding each other and giving each other a hard time along with Tiger and Phil. This is money on the line, career on the line, different deal. They're not going to be as colorful or, or as entertaining. They're going to be a little boring. They're going to talk about distance and club, and then they're going to need to space out. That's what you do. You, you, know, you dial in. Breathe, breathe, focus, address the shot, execute the shot, then you move on. I'm really curious what you guys think of should they have, should they have mics on, yes or no? And if they are, what kind of broadcast does that provide? Yeah, I, I personally like getting in the heads of professional athletes. I don't know how much golfers typically – say anything except they swing and they go attaboy go go left bang <laughs> um, but in baseball yeah it's fun to hear the the banter uh you know the umpires the first base coach i just don't know uh you know small talk with the caddies as they move around um, but I'm, I'm more for it i think it'll be interesting again i don't know i think you're going to see different styles some people are probably very quiet and very business-like there are other people who are probably talking to themselves um we'll see if that happens right will they become self-conscious about that and actually change the performance that would be my biggest concern is if it begins to change the performance of the golfers and influences their livelihood like you mentioned um, i suspect it's not going to be as entertaining as it would be to have mic'd up a bench in baseball or basketball or someplace else, just because there isn't that same level of camaraderie. And even if there was, you only have a handful of people on the whole at one time anyways. Here's what I think would be fascinated about, uh, fascinating about that. But you'd need some announcers to be clued into this. Sports psychology is, is deeply embedded in the game of golf. And for guys, for, for an announcer to be able to observe and then correctly describe process, that would be fascinating. But even in baseball, and, and baseball pioneered many aspects, uh, uh, Ken Revisa and Harvey Dorfman are the two twin towers of baseball sports psychology. And, and Ken, has, uh, his influence has spread over all kinds of sports. Uh, they both have passed on. But uh, in, in that instance, if you really understood what they were doing, like when a batter steps into the batter's box, 
holds the bat up in front of his face, gets a focal point on the bat, breathes, has the same process every time, then you could describe that. That's not going to be easy to do in golf, to be inside the head of the athlete as they're executing some of the sports psychology. Well, we're about uh, wrapping up week number four of AAAI. But uh, before we do that, uh, we want to go ahead and talk a little bit about racing because racing provides us guys with the total mix of responsible, not responsible, sort of responsible, sort of not responsible, and then a free-for-all. And here's what we mean by that. NASCAR is going to start allowing fans back at the track. Now, guys, I'm not knocking racing. I grew up in Indianapolis. I was a race announcer for ESPN and Turner Broadcasting, a mm -hmm. reporter. Been around the sport a long time. Love it. I am not knocking racing fans. But NASCAR is going to allow some fans back at the next couple of races down in Homestead, Miami, and in Talladega. And Talladega is a big deal for it. Uh, they're only going to allow 5,000 people to come for the June 21st race that's in a, a couple of Sundays. They're also only going to allow limited uh, tailgating, campers and uh, mobile homes. They said they're also going to screen fans before they allow them in, and they're going to require them to wear face coverings, which is only smart. NASCAR has so far has only been back in the core, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. This is a, 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 in Talladega, same culture. Again, that's not a negative, same racing culture, Talladega. I've been to all racetracks in all of those states. I have great regard for that. But here's what's interesting about that. And this is a, a word of caution and gets into that free-for-all. We just don't know what's going to happen. North Carolina's governor has ordered the closure of a small stock car track. It's uh, Ace Speedway in Alamance County. That's near Raleigh, North Carolina, which is the capital of the state. And uh, this past weekend, there were over 2,000 fans, and, and they were not uh, observing social distancing or face covering or anything like that. So it's that idea of we, we really don't know what's going to happen, and there has to be some responsibility about that. And whether it's uh, Formula One fans would do the same. IndyCar fans would do the same. In fact, NBA hockey fans would do the same if they could. But this is where we're getting into, and guys, we'll wrap this up with what does this mean when we get such dramatic different results when people are allowed to have free choice here? What does that mean, Andrew? Well, I think it goes back to that original question of what percentage of the people are social distancing, what percentage aren't. It, it has to do with risk tolerance people have, people's concern about um, how likely they are to get sick or what, what they think about the situation. Um, I, what I'm actually more interested is that it, it raised a question because I think the sport that maybe has the best likelihood of having fans in the stands this year is the NFL, in part because with that big of a stadium, um, they may be able to let a handful, 5,000 people in Dallas is nothing. Um, but it raises a question of how are they going to behave even if the NFL teams say, we'll only sell tickets um, three seats apart, a row apart, you know, an empty row in between. Will people obey that or will people just move because if there's only 5,000 people, why shouldn't we all sit at the 50-yard line? Um, so that would be my bigger concern is what does that look like, even if they can open to partial attendance? Ari? 
Yeah, no, it, it's um, something I'm looking very much uh, forward to seeing. I agree. Uh, you know, maybe the Rose Bowl is, is a huge stadium, LA Coliseum, um, you know, outdoor versus domed. Um, uh, it, it, to me, it's a question, you know, from my perspective, people's lives and health are at stake, but not everyone sees it that way. Um, so th I think you're going to see demand for more attendance than is probably safe at this point. Um, and, you know, there'll be some struggles from there. And then the question becomes, like, even if you do 5,000 or 10,000 in a large stadium, it doesn't, it's not the revenue maker. So uh, how much are sponsors willing to pay? How much viewership do they expect? Um, and that, that's really a sport by sport, uh, geographical by geographical decision. Well, on all the things you just brought up, that's exactly what racing uh, executives, businesses, sponsors will all be thinking when they go to Talladega. 5,000 there is a drop in the bucket. And then what happens outside of there will be interesting. All right, guys, before we wrap up, we're doing this on a Tuesday. We know, uh, we're going to get a last word on MLB negotiations. <laughs> June 15th is the day before we record our next AAI podcast. June 15th was my drop dead date way back when, <laughs> and I'm, I'm staying with that. So Andrew, you first, are we going to have an agreement between now and the time we record our next podcast, double AI next Tuesday? So, so can I turn it around and ask, do we need an agreement, right? Major league baseball has the right under their March agreement to specify a number of games at that agreement, right? Prorated salaries based on the number of games played. Major League Baseball has said, what was it, 50 games was their proposal a couple weeks ago. So I suspect Major League Baseball, if all else fails, will just fall back to one of those, um, one of those lines. That being said, if it's 50 games, I don't know if June 15th is the day they actually need to make that decision. They have a little more time. Um, the way things are going, seeing an agreement by the 15th, I just don't see it happening. But you never know. As people become panicked, what happens if we don't have sports or baseball this year? They so might, might decide. Andrew's giving that a, a double thumbs down. Ari? What was that phrase? We will see you tomorrow night. <laughs> we'll see you with the same questions a week from uh, podcast. So I don't think they'll reach an agreement. They might get uh, closer, but I don't see it in a week. Since, you know, it's three to four days to go back and forth and another round or two. We may see a 50-game season, um, but yeah, I don't think it'll be resolved by next week. All right, guys. From experience, I, I think I, for ESPN Baseball tonight, I covered the last strike. Uh, I was in the middle of that stuff. I'm saying we're playing 76 games. We're going to have 16 teams in a playoff. The real problem is going to be, what do we do with players who can't or don't want to play or coaches or managers who co uh, It's all about medical protocol, but I'm coming out. We will have an agreement between now and when we talk again a week from today on Tuesday, the 16th. So, but that's two against one majority rules. You guys <laughs> are probably using logic and intelligence that I can't even access. So we're all good. Good job today, guys. That's a great conversation. Enjoyed that. Andrew, thanks. Yeah, All right. thank you. 
Yeah, we appreciate that, guys. Well, this is Double AI, the podcast about analytics in sports, entertainment, gaming, and esports. We take a look uh, from the view of our two data scientists and from the view of analytics in the middle of the business of this sports industry. Thanks for joining us. I'm Phil. We'll see you again in a week.